Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Podcast Network Asia. Welcome to She Talks Peace, a podcast that highlights the role of women peace builders around the world in bringing lasting peace and security to communities, eavesdrop on their communities and get to know their stories. From the Philippines to Malaysia, from Indonesia to Palestine, from Myanmar to the United States, their dreams and hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by Amina Rasul Bernardo, President of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy. This is She Talks Peace. Salam, salam, dear listeners. Welcome to another episode of She Talks Peace. I'm Amina Rasul of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, joining you from Manila. But yesterday, I was in Jakarta. I was there to participate in the 6th ASEAN UN Regional Dialogue. And this year, the theme of the dialogue was climate, peace, and security. You know, we in ASEAN have been experiencing more and more terrible natural calamities. The Philippines, for instance, how many typhoons have we had that has affected millions and killed thousands? I think the one that the world really remembers is uh, Hurricane Haiyan, we call Typhoon Yolanda here in, uh, in the Philippines. And that affected 14 million people in 44 provinces. And I think even today, there's still some uh, communities that need uh, more support for rehabilitation. But during that, uh, the dialogue, the ASEAN New and Regional Dialogue, we call it AURED uh, for short, I represented a group called the ASEAN Women for Peace Registry. This is a group of women experts selected by our governments as resources that can be tapped when needed to share our experience on peace building, women peace and security. Some are fantastic mediators like former peace advisor Teresita Pintos Deles, among others. And we at uh, the registry, we have been discussing the link between climate change as a non-traditional security threat and Women, Peace, and Security. I think all of you know that um, climate change can also be a catalyst for conflict. I mean, think about it. Rising temperatures, extreme weather events, 
these are not just environmental challenges, but significant contributors to conflicts around the world. Look at what happened to us in Mindanao, southern Philippines. Mindanao has experienced decades of experience in armed conflict with the Islamic Liberation Front, for instance, and thank goodness that we have a successful peace agreement with the Moro Islamic Liberation Front. In some areas, the armed group of the Communist Party of the Philippines um, is quite strong. And in many of these communities, when the devastation of uh, typhoons or hurricanes hit and an already impoverished community gets even more devastated, who do you think people would turn to? They would turn to, sad to say, the Liberation Front for support, for assistance. And if the communities are not supported by state, by the government, then you have generally a return back to hostilities. Worse, when you have scarce resources such as water and arable land, this often triggers disputes, exacerbating tensions within and, unfortunately, between nations as well. So climate change really isn't just an ecological issue, but a key factor in international relations and security. And what I said during the conference, where are the women? What happens to the women? Because when you have natural disasters, even man-made disasters like armed conflict, women, children, and youth are more disadvantaged. They're more negatively affected. So we talked about what is the link between climate peace and security and women peace and security. You know, I'm all of the women listening to me right now, we know very well when there is a conflict, when there's a disaster, women become like caregivers. We provide help, we provide succor to our families, we take care of the children. And in this way, we become an important front uh, liner in the assistance for bringing the community together, for protecting the community. Unfortunately, we don't really seem to get as, you know, as much access to resources uh, to rebuild their families, to help further. And this is something that I pointed out. You know, if you're going to be really talking about climate peace and security, you have to look at its intersection with women, peace, and security and support women's leaderships, bring them more into policy making, bring them more into program implementation so that when disasters do happen, these frontliners, the women, are ready and supportive and well-equipped to help the state handle the disasters that uh, we're experiencing and disasters uh, still to come. We There was a uh, study done after Typhoon Haiyan, uh, Typhoon Yolanda, and they looked at what happened to the women, the women who were caregivers of the community, the women who were there helping with the relief efforts. And they found out that um, something that, was, that hasn't really been 
studied very well, I think, they found out that these women, apart from being already victimized by the disaster, were also victimized by, would you believe, violence against women, sexual abuse. And I wonder if this important um, area of humanitarian assistance shouldn't really be discussed more and um, provided more space when we're talking about disaster uh, risk management, when we're talking about rehabilitation. We're very lucky tonight because my guest is a former commissioner on human rights in uh, the Philippines. She recently stepped down and has uh, rejoined the civil society. And I do believe that they have taken a look at uh, the situation of uh, women who become part of the uh, internally displaced uh, communities. And uh, my guest today is none other than former Commissioner Karen Gomez Dumpit. She has been a civil servant for many, many years, and I believe 28 years were devoted to the Commission on Human Rights, implementing programs that carry out the constitutional mandates of the Philippine Commission on Human Rights. Karen has worked towards the passage and implementation of various laws, including the Juvenile Justice Welfare Act, a law prohibiting the imposition of the death penalty, an issue that she's currently really working on, international humanitarian law bill, the Anti-Torture Act, the Human Security Act, Anti-Terrorism Act, and Recognition and Reparation of Martial Law Victims Act. She has worked on laws on women's rights and measures addressing gender-based violence, including the Safe Spaces Act, among many others. Karen successfully led the advocacy to block the reintroduction of the death penalty in the Philippines and advocated for the rights of persons deprived of liberty, which earned her a Gawad Paglilingkod, or Service Award, from the Catholic Bishops' Conference of the Philippines Episcopal Commission for Prison Pastoral Care. Currently, she is the chair of the Philippine Working Group for the ASEAN Human Rights Mechanism and the Human Rights and People Empowerment Center. She is affiliated with the Anti-Death Penalty Asian Network, the Coalition Against Anti-Death Penalty Philippines, and the UN Joint Program on Human Rights in the Philippines. Welcome to She Talks Peace, Karen. Hi, I'm happy to be here and thank you for the invitation. Karen, I'm really so glad that uh, we had this opportunity to chat. I mean, we've been trying to get you on the show for weeks now, but you're, you're all over the place pushing for your advocacy on... Uh, against the death penalty and continuing the work that you had done at the Commission on Human Rights. But before we talk about the issue of women, I want to ask you about a statement that um, you were quoted as giving in uh, a Philippine um, uh, news media, Rappler. And you said 
A change of administration, meaning from Duterte to Marcos, will not be accepted as an excuse to not mind the carnage brought about by President Duterte's drug war. What precipitated this, Karen? Well, uh, I was simply asked a question no, about the human rights situation in the country having um, uh, changed hands from uh, the former president Duterte to the, the now um, uh, Marcos administration. And one of the things that we discussed was actually, is there still a drug policy in the country? Mm. And I responded, yes, because it hasn't been rescinded. There have been killings. Uh, killings have been going on, except that it's not anymore in the front pages. It would be at the back pages. It's sad to see that, you know, things have normalized. Kumbaga, uh, when you talk about killings, it seems like it's it's a common common thing that happens that you get to be insensitive about it. Now, my response to that was actually also uh, couched on the issue of ICC, whether uh-huh. uh, a new government should cooperate. And, you know, human rights continuing obligations. Yan, eh? So a change in government will not be an excuse to say, oh, but that was the previous government. This is the new government. Mm-hmm. We're not that anymore. It's not that. Government is continuing. It has to be accountable to even past human rights violations. So that's that was the context of it. And even the Supreme Court was saying that no, in uh, the case where they decided on whether uh, a president at the time, it was President Duterte who withdrew unila- unilaterally from the Rome Statute, whether that could be, and the Supreme Court said, oh, that's smooth and academic, but a president cannot do that without the Senate's uh, concurrence, if I remember that decision correctly. But what I distinctly remember about that particular uh, decision was that at the time that we were a state party to the Rome Statute, we cannot shed our obligations from it just because we withdrew several years later. So the obligation continues. And the access to justice of victims of the drug war must be served, no? must be opened up. Uh, ang nangyayari kasi ngayon, you know, things have not been moving uh, well for the families of the victims and the victim survivors of the war on drugs. Uh, mm-hmm. If you see the number of cases, they're very, very little. And uh, most yeah. of them are actually being pursued by by the families themselves. No? There has to be a change in that. That's why I said that because it's a fact that there were many thousands who perished in that drug war of the previous administration that in my, in my own assessment still exists because yeah. the policy has not changed. Right. You know, Karen, I think I saw a news article Perhaps it was the statement by Carlos Conde when he made that uh, opening statement in uh, Geneva. Mm-hmm. And the statistic they mentioned was like um, more than 30,000 killed, but only 50-something policemen were actually brought to justice, which yes. is incredibly lopsided. Mm-hmm. And the, the other thing that um, was interesting to me, um, months ago, Secretary for the Interior and Local Government, 
Abalos was giving a talk about the situation and he mentioned what he had discovered because he was early days yet at DILG. And uh, he said they did a drug box somewhere in NCR only to find out that the headquarters for the syndicate was in the office of the policemen who were with the Drug Enforcement Authority. So he was really shocked. And I think that brings home the point of, of accountability, that it should continue. And I'm, I'm, I'm rather glad that at least uh, Secretary Abalos admitted to the problems that he saw. But the question, Karen, uh, that you had actually pointed out is, so what do you do now? You have a new administration. What can be done about this particular issue? From your vantage point, Karen, as uh, now your civil society, you are continuing to push for the rights of um, all of these, you know, most of them were kids, really, right, who have been killed uh, during the, the drug war. There were about uh, a little over 100 who were children, no? And this was Human Rights Watch was actually monitoring that particular um, uh, uh, sector. Um, well, to be fair, no, there have been some changes. At least now you see that it's the trend has been, you know, slowing down. It's not one time, big time. You don't see 32 being killed in one day. And then the president saying, if we can keep this up, this will be good. There's no incentivization. There's no... Um, encouragement to do this and, you know, arrest them all or kill them all. Walang ganong language. So yun ang, yun ang maganda rin doon. Ano? I think uh, this, our current president right now, the language has changed from the top uh, honcho, no? from the top leadership. It has changed. It's not anymore um, demonizing yes. drug users. It's not that counts for a lot. I'm not saying it's very little. No, that counts for a lot because any words uttered by our, you know, top leaders, it's policy to people mm-hmm. down the line. So that's right. that's an important change. But the policy itself has not been withdrawn. Some people say, "Oh, but the police has already the Philippine National Police has already issued another memo order on that." But remember that it has to come from the top, not just uh, the Philippine National Police. No? But again, the language that has changed, but uh, the attention that it needs, wala pa tayo masadong nakikita don ano. You know, even if you say that the indicators uh, should be aware of the cases in courts, let's just take a look at the basic. Have they even investigated? They keep on uh, trying to say, oh, but we're still evaluating. Mm-hmm. We're still examining. May investigation ba nangyari? And those instances where sa tagal ng panahon it has become a cold case, um, when they say that it's difficult because people have not come forward to give their testimonies, is something that's really, it was lost in time because they right. kept postponing their responsibility. But it does not mean that the new administration should not take a look at it. There has to be some remedy 
there has to be some access to justice that could be open for victims and victim survivors of the war. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. The other thing that really worried me when they were trying to implement the Duterte drug war and just really capturing small fish, minnows, you know, uh, addicted uh, young people who were selling a few grams so that they could continue with their habit and the information that the big guns were not really being touched. And I realized during those years the, the influence of narco-politics. For instance, Karen, I know you, you, you know this full well when you were in the Commission on Human Rights. In the areas, for instance, where you had armed conflict in Mindanao, whether it is uh, the communist armed group or the, uh, the Islamic uh, Liberation Front, there was a relationship between drug lords and the provision of arms and support to the, the combatants who were fighting state. It's an unholy relationship. But you see narcopolitics fueling armed conflict against the state. And it really bugs, you know, boggles the, the mind why you can't spend as much time running after drug lords that you do running about you know after the little fish what was it like during your time in in chr when you were looking at the areas of conflict and looking at all of these uh, violations of um, of human rights and compare it with that with today well you know in any displacement situation whether it's man-made or natural it's really something that uh it's a cause for concern because you're uprooting families. They're, they're fleeing danger. They want to flee to a sanctuary. But then when they go away from danger, they enter another danger zone. No? So mm-hmm. that's something that's really, it's really a very precarious situation. The politics of, let's say, yan, yung narco-politics, that the dynamics of that is something that, of course, we leave it up to the experts to try to take a look at. But at the end of the day, what we want to also stress is that you're, you're looking after the lives of people here, the right. communities. You want, you want safe communities. You want safer communities. You want communities to thrive. But if they get uprooted, because of any kind of disaster, man-made or natural, it's something that you have to respond to. And the response should really be towards, yes, you need to ensure that uh, in their temporary accommodations, they are uh, treated very well, but you have to take a look at security as well. But at the end of the day, what's the durable solution to that? Mm-hmm. And... Uh, um, a lot of times when we talk about, let's say, um, uh, armed conflict, for instance, a lot of um, um, peace advocates, human rights advocates, women's rights advocates have been saying that address the roots of the problem, address the roots of the rebellion, for instance, address the roots of, of uh, you know, uh, why do people seem to not care about government? It's because probably government was not present in their community. And if it's a choice between joining right. a group, 
that will pay you 50 pesos a month. Oh, yeah. What will they choose, diba? It's not a choice. It's survival. So, it's good, no? There have been efforts by government that can really be a good initiative, no? Like, whole of nation approach, whole of nation initiatives. Totoo yan. Very, very important yan. At magandang programa. But when you come to implementation, for instance, that's where we are losing that battle to win the hearts and minds of people in the communities. Kaya sila nara-radicalize dahil din doon. Diba? Those sure. who see like very neutral, gagawin mo, i-red tag mo, diba? And this has been happening not only today, but not only during the time of President Duterte, but also in previous mm-hmm. uh, administrations. Yes. But the thing is, when you do that, you're actually recruiting for the other side. Because yes. they're just helping. They're just helping. And if you try to red tag and associate people who are neutral, people who are independent, people who just point out what can still be done by government to properly address problems like insurgency, then you're losing out because you're actually excluding them. If you don't parrot what government says, you're against government. And that's not how our democracy works. You have to listen. You have to listen to the experience, the lived experience of people on the ground who have seen And it. learn from it. Yes. Katulad nga nung sinabi, no, yung, um, there was a special rapporteur who, uh, who came. No? You see, During yeah, the time of President Duterte. No, no. This, this uh, recent past lang. Um, mm-hmm. uh, last week lang yata to eh that the special rapporteur said that, you know, red tagging will not be uh, useful for government. So stop red tagging. And um, I think this is uh, the special rapporteur on human rights and climate change. Um, mm. The country, I think, two weeks ago, and he issued a statement to say that, uh, you know, you have to re-examine the ntfl what it is doing, and the impact of what it's doing. So we have to take heed of all of this because we're not winning the hearts and minds of people if we try to demonize everybody who is just trying to help and not seen as an ally just because they don't agree with government. That's right. They're just pushing them into the arms of those who are against uh, the state. And I'm speaking from experience. I mean, it's the first time that uh, a CHR over the past, at the time I was with CHR for what, 2060? Over two and a half decades. Yeah. And we will become associated with CPPNPA. Right. Just right. And this is our observations. And, you know, it's it's very, very um, sad and very disappointing. No? We expect a little bit more from government, especially our security sector actors. And I'm not just talking about police and military. Yeah. Security yeah. sector actors are everybody in the community, right. oversight, monitoring bodies where you need to be recognized as such. Para makinig, di ba? And it's not helping any. So, so that no, practice not. has to end. And um, the real issue is really the root causes. Guto man yeah. tao, walang serbisyo na ma- right. makikita. You know, I've often said this, no? Yung um, 
let's say yung sa SOS, yung sa Children Save Our Schools, di ba? Hininto nila yon yung mga skwelahan o mga learning centers na nagsaservice dun sa community. Ang tanong ko, sino na yung nagsaserve dun sa community na saan na nag-aaral yung mga bata? And some of these kids were actually allowed by the parents to go around to, to live kasi nga gusto nila mag-aaral and all that. So services on the ground in the communities is something that will really spell the difference. At ang communities naman, hindi naman yan kakampi. They just want to survive. No? Yeah, they just want their children safe. And if you're caught in the crossfire, what will you do? You're a civilian. What will you do? You will you will go into the arms of who can protect you. And many times, it's uh, the group that's fighting state. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. But, um, but before we get more into, into this topic, let me just uh, uh, ask our listeners, uh, Karen, because we've got listeners, we've hit 101 countries already. So, dear listeners, if you have questions, comments, or thoughts you want to share with uh, our guest, Karen, uh, do email us at uh, shetalkspeacepodcast.gmail.com. Let me repeat that, she talks peace podcast at gmail.com or our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at she talks peace. Don't forget to give us a follow. And now let's go back to this interesting conversation with Karen. I want to ask you something, Karen. So you are you're pushing your advocacy now, which is anti-death penalty. Mm-hmm. But I've had conversations with Many, especially in the Muslim community, because you know, for us, death penalty is, is accepted, unlike in the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. And they say, Why would you not give death penalty for people who commit heinous crimes or in the case of the drug war to these drug lords who have wreaked so much harm on our? children who have destroyed institutions by uh, getting engaged and supporting uh, political leaders through narco-politics. So why, Karen? Why is it important that we don't have the death penalty? Of course, we don't have it anymore in the Philippines, right? But there's a move to, to bring it back. So why, dear Karen? Well, because our justice system is imperfect and no justice system 
them is perfect in any corner of the world. If you yeah. take a let's say advanced justice systems like the US and even in Europe, you will find well in Europe wala na, diba? Kasi ano sila talagang abolitionist na, no? Um right. at least in EU and ang ang tinitingnan kasi dito is that no justice system is so perfect that you can impose the death penalty which is irreversible pag nagkamali ka nagkamali ka that's why yeah. ikon siguro uh, what i can tell you is that the death penalty is something that is it uses to teach people not to kill let's just mm-hmm. put it that way but how can you teach people not to kill if you will advocate to kill that person who killed another? Diba? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't follow. It's illogical. Mm-hmm. But the third is really every one person has dignity in them. Mm-hmm. Every person has goodness in them. You believe in rehabilitation. And being for the death penalty does not mean that you have to, you know, your four crimes to go unpunished. That's the mm-hmm. most uh, important. No? Those who are advocating to abolish the death penalty in all corners of the world, kasama na po ako dyan, and uh, the organizations that I am affiliated with right now, it's not about anything else but trying to ensure respect for the right to life. Right. Uh, Every human being, there's no requirement if you are good or bad, have done bad things. Um, uh, we believe that there are second chances. There are considerations like, for instance, if this person is a danger to society, then there are ways by which you can stop that person from committing crime. You can protect the communities. And at the end of the day, what matters is all systems must be able to respect human rights of every human being. Um, a lot of people make it emotional, and it is, right? Victims, mm-hmm. survivors of heinous crimes or most serious yes. of crimes, um, a lot of our advocates will say, but they want it. They want it. They want it for justice. But killing is not Death penalty does not equate to justice. That's Death yeah, penalty yeah, right. is also not a deterrent. I mean, there are studies upon studies that show that. But at the end of the day, not all victims also want it. Um, not all victims want the death penalty. They just want them to be punished for the crime that they have done. And all punishments, if we are a responsible uh, member of uh, the global community, if we are a responsible state and government, we must be able to respect human rights, even if at the end of the day, we need to um, uh, render a humane punishment. No? Going back mm-hmm. to uh, uh, the Islam, Islamic uh, faith, actually, yes, there's a death penalty there. There are alternatives to the death penalty. So there's there's a dia, not money. There's also forgiveness as a factor. So when we talk about the death penalty, it's not just that. We know it's ineffective in in solving crime, in um, uh, deterring crime. But at the end of the day, we need to look at viable, effective alternatives, and the death penalty is not one of them. Yeah. Let's go back to what you said 
earlier about uh, death being final and imperfect justice systems. Is it true, Karen, that, uh, for instance, in the Philippines, when you're looking at the death penalty, the percentage of uh, those who were you know, judged uh, to deserve uh, the death penalty is overwhelmingly poor and that uh, people who belong to the richer communities rarely get the death penalty. They get like a uh, soft pass. Yes, uh, there was a study by the Supreme Court no, in, in a particular case where they found that all the birth in the 10 years, uh, if I remember correctly, in the 10 years that was uh, uh, where death penalty was uh, actually implemented from the time of at the time President Ramos no, was the mm -hmm. one that the administration was the one that we introduced the death penalty after we have abolished it. And in the 10 years, the figures were seven. Actually, it's more than seven. It's about 71%. Seven out of 10, the Supreme Court said, the, the lower courts gave a wrong verdict mm. of uh, death penalty. So it was remanded. Kasi mali, uh, the sentence was, uh, was uh, erroneous. 70%, mm. more than 70%. That means seven out of 10 wrong. That's uh, amazing. Uh, and that goes to show that our system, justice system, is so imperfect. And had it gone through the same uh, process, or right. let's say it was, uh, it was sustained by the Supreme Court, for instance, mm -hmm. affirmed uh, with finality, and yet DNA evidence at the time was not available. You have what you call the innocence projects in other countries. Uh -huh. We had that in uh, the Philippines. There was one particular case where the DNA evidence shows that it, it wasn't him. So it wasn't that person that committed it. That's one thing that, that's really very important to make. No? And at the end of the day, you know, it also shows your humanity and your dignity as a person if you want another person to suffer, diba? it's unthinkable to, to do that. No? At the end of the day, you know, death penalty is perhaps what we consider the, the utmost form of torture. And mm -hmm. torture in international law and in any place is absolutely prohibited. No? For me, that's, that's, uh, that's how we regard the death penalty. It's the utmost form of Mm -hmm. Therefore, we cannot inflict torture on another human being. And when you do that, you create more victims. In fact, when you when you execute, you create more victims. This this person has family also, and they are also considered victims in a sense. So, are you making progress, Karen, in your advocacy? Because you're really pushing for. A life, right? A life imprisonment yes. instead of the death yes. penalty. Well, if there, ever there's perhaps one thing that I can be proud of, uh, when we did the campaign against the death penalty and the past administration had it as one of the top three legislative agenda at the time, reintroducing the death penalty, reducing the minimum age of criminal responsibility. Yes. And of That's course, right. those were the three top things that President Duterte wanted. Well, at least 
during our watch, hindi nangyari. It didn't happen. And it continues not to happen. That's one of the good things also that I think the current administration is not keen on doing that. They're, um, uh, uh, they won't say it outright, but uh, the president has been quoted as saying, does it really deter crime and all that? So it indicates to us that uh, this administration's um, uh, thinking is, is away from the death penalty. It's not going towards that direction as well. So we're, we're also very um, uh, grateful for that, and we hope that it will continue to uh, work towards maintaining abolition and ensuring that there are better uh, responses and alternatives to curb crime and address crime. And one of them would be, of course, taking a look at uh, the cases, investigate the the drug war issue because that that to us is also a most serious crime in itself. The fact that there were so many that perished under that campaign. As we Muslims say, inshallah, Karen. Now, tell me, you were in the Commission on Human Rights for a long time. And you had to take on all of these really heavy issues. And there were times I know that you had like uh, you know, verbal confrontations with some actors in the security sector. What was it like, Karen, being a woman handling that job? Did they make it difficult for you because you were, you were a woman? What was it like? Well, of course, there are there are some what you call microaggressions. I think yes. uh, that uh, I experienced, but I didn't let that bother me. You know, like in any other work, you have to be prepared. You have to be prepared with your arguments. You mm. have to uh, have the stamina and the perseverance. And I've always said this, no. Um, we're standing on solid ground. We always anchor our positions on human rights, principles, standards, and obligations. So it does not change just because the current administration, the present administration has changed or, you know, government has changed hands. It's still the same thing because we mm-hmm. base it on human rights, principles, and standards that are minimum standards. You right. cannot today that you are for the death penalty and tomorrow you're against it. Uh, The Commission on Human Rights has always been towards the affirmation of the right to life and therefore will always be against the death penalty. It will always take a look at the historical and uh, structural inequalities that women has faced over uh, over time immemorial to be able to explain why we have affirmative action laws like violence against women, like safe spaces. Right. So it's the same. That's why it's it's so good because you don't change positions. You always stand for human rights. You always stand up for the human rights of every person and that will not change. Perhaps in the way you communicate it, will be something that can be, you know, changed a little bit. You have to strategize how you deliver the message. But at the end of the day, you still stand up for human rights, period, full stop. 
So you're the rock in the river, Karen, and you just let the flow of these nasty remarks and these microaggressions flow around you, and you you stay the course. And um, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's like gulong ng palad. Um, uh, I don't know how you the wheel uh, of life. Yeah, it's it's you know, uh, at the end of the day, you will be at the bottom sometimes, and then you'll be up. It's just like you know, a bamboo tree. You're you're supposed to be resilient in any winds of change, no? But at the yes, same time, you're really rooted. Uh, yes. With your conviction, with your principles, and that that should remain unchanged. Any politics will not change what human rights are and what the obligations are. That's really good to hear coming from you, Karen, with your decades of experience fighting the good fight. And uh, time flies. I've received a time check from our producer. But before we go, Karen, what would be your message? to our listeners who perhaps are finding some of discrimination, some human rights violations, and don't know what to do? What would be your advice to our listeners? Well, number one is always prepare. If you have a message, you prepare. And you prepare by anticipating all the challenges and all the problems that uh, may come your way in trying to advocate for that cause. That's one of the things that uh, perhaps we can do. Uh, always have reality checks. At the end of the day, you know, as a woman, I cannot, I cannot perhaps make that excuse. That, are you saying that to me because I'm a woman? No. You mm. address the question very well. And if you get attacked, just stand your ground and say, these are your obligations. This, this is human rights. Are you not for human rights as well? So you need to prepare and you need to know the battleground as well. And you know that there are a lot of, uh, a lot of entities that will not be respectful of, of you, will attack you, will, mm-hmm. uh, will belittle you just to, you know, just to destabilize what you want to say or just to shake you. But you know, if you're standing on human rights uh, principles and standards, you're standing on very firm ground. And at the end of the day, and this is something that perhaps I can uh, share with you um, in my so many years, especially in the last uh, seven years of my um, professional life in the Commission on Human Rights, I continue to be a human rights advocate, of course, is the fact that, you know, it's not enough to stand for the right things. Uh, because you can be, sound like you're a self-righteous, uh, higher being. Yeah, It's the way you communicate also. So you can stand up for the right things, but you have to convey things the right way as well. So that's where strategy comes in. That's where effective communications come in. And probably try to make it positive, make it, and try to find common ground. Because that's where it happens, no? That's where a connection happens. And if you deliver a message that will further divide, then just t- try to take a step back and see where can I find common ground to begin with. And I think that's how any, any um, uh, conversation begins. You find, you find common, common ground. You find common interests. You find a common objective. And then you start up. 
moving Thank forward. you so much, Karen, for those uh, words of wisdom. I think peace, peace builders uh, around the world, that seems to be a common you know, uh, part of their formula. The, the need to listen so you can find common ground. And once you find common ground, then it's easier, right, to push the agenda. It's easier now to also let them listen to you. So thank you so much, Karen, for, for mentioning that. And I'm sure that our listeners have paid attention. And uh, who knows? Do put it to good use, my dear listeners. So this has been another wonderful episode of She Talks Peace. Thank you to our guest, Karen Dumpit Gomez. And uh, I wish you more power, Karen, in your advocacy because you really need to do a lot more in uh, ASEAN, you know, with the situation evolving in some of our neighbor countries. So you're needed in action there. So thanks so much for for joining us, uh, Karen. Thank you very much. Um, uh, and it's been a pleasure. And anytime you need us, we'll always be here. Um, uh, woman to woman and the Women's Network will always be there. But of course, the human rights work goes beyond even ASEAN, but in all corners of the world will be there. So maraming salamat for your invitation. It's been a pleasure and a privilege. Thank you, Karen. So, dear listeners, thank you for joining us uh, today. This is Amina Rasul of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy saying bye for now. Give us a follow at She Talks Peace on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to get updated on the latest episode releases. Do share it, please, with your peers. Again, this is She Talks Peace saying Bye for now. See you next week. Bye. She Talks Peace is brought to you in partnership with Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. For more information, check out their website at podcastnetwork.asia and podmetrics.co. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. 